Good morning, uh, everyone. I'm really glad to join you this morning. I didn't know that Kurt was gone. I turned around and he wasn't there anymore. Um, really glad to be joining you this morning as you gather uh, to hear God speak. Uh, let me pray um, before we do that together. Father, prepare our ears to hear your word and our hearts and minds to receive it in such a way that we would walk away changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Um. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. People shouted these words at the top of their lungs. They laid down their cloaks flat on the ground and in the mud as if they were rolling out a red carpet for the entry of the king. They did this to welcome Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. That's a flashback to what's known as the triumphal entry of Jesus. It happened only five days prior to the tragic events we read about in Mark 15. And where we've arrived is unthinkable. Everybody loves a good rags to riches story. Uh, They show how unthinkable things can happen in people's lives, um, where they go from complete poverty uh, to prosperity. I googled uh, top rags to riches stories. Uh, They're all about boring billionaires, unfortunately. So I decided I'd share uh, my favorite, Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Charlie Bucket uh, goes from rags to riches when he finds Willy Wonka's golden ticket in a chocolate bar. I sometimes imagine finding a golden ticket in my Cadbury bar, but don't worry, I know it's fiction. Uh, But let's just imagine Charlie Bucket is a real person. Uh, A flashback in Charlie's life would only show us how unthinkable it was for this child who lived in poverty to inherit a chocolate factory. In the flashback in Jesus' life, however, it's uh, unthinkable, but on a totally different level. Last week, we saw how unthinkable it was to Jesus' disciples that one of the twelve could betray him. It was unthinkable that Jesus Christ would be arrested. Uh, It must have perplexed his disciples so much that every one of them fled. Even Peter, though he told Jesus he would stand alongside him till death, it wasn't long until he denied Christ. Because what happened to his master was unthinkable. Only five days ago, he was welcomed into Jerusalem with hosannas. But here in chapter 15, he's bound and handed over to Pilate. The trajectory that Jesus' disciples were on was so promising. Uh, They'd recognized he was the Christ, God's promised king. Uh, He'd entered the city of King David. This is it, right? This is his moment. The next step should have been his public enthronement as king of the Jews. But the reality was that Jesus was bound just like a criminal. What is their perception of their master now? This is the question that I want us to think about today. As we come to think about the crucifixion, what is our perception of Jesus? What do we see in Christ dying a brutal death on the cross? 
our first step in answering this question will be to look at what Pilate thinks of Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked in verse 2. And Jesus answered him, You have said so. He's trying to make sense of why this man has been arrested. But Jesus' answer makes things tricky for him. He has to decide on his own who Jesus is. Here he is, uh, the long list of accusations that the chief priests bring against him. And Pilate again asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. He was looking at the list of accusations and thinking, this just doesn't line up. It's like he'd already declared Jesus to be innocent, but just needed some way to release him. Mark says in verse 6, I'm going to read that part again, that at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived uh, that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Mark gives us the impression that the crowds may not not have necessarily uh, felt that hostile towards Jesus. uh, But at the stirring up of the chief priests, they consented to having a murderer on the loose. They abandoned all sense of justice and quickly joined in the pursuit of getting rid of Jesus. But this doesn't deal with Pilate's problem yet. Uh, So he asks the crowd again, verse 12, Then what shall I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. What a disgrace this must have been to the nation of Israel. That they would substitute a man they called king of the Jews with a murderer. Not only that, the Jews had handed over their king to be treated with utter contempt and dishonor. At the hands of the Roman soldiers, Christ became an object of ridicule. As Jesus was led to Golgotha to be crucified, Mark gives us hints here and there that Jesus was suffering even before his hands were hammered to the cross. And when they reached Golgotha, the place of the skull, they crucified him. Mark tells us in verse 25 that this happened at 9am and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him... They crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. What is our perception of Christ at the end of this brutal episode? If you and I were one of his followers then, what would we think? How would we feel? Christ was substituted for Barabbas. 
It is unthinkable that Christ should receive punishment deserving of the worst of sinners, right? God's anointed king received flogging suited for murderers and hung on a cross with criminals on either side. The honorary title, King of the Jews, was so stripped of its honour that it was Jesus' criminal charge. What did those who passed by think of this? Mark says in verse 29, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Clearly, these were people who listened to Jesus' teaching, who now used his own words to taunt him. Uh, They saw his miracles in feeding uh, thousands of people and healing Bartimaeus from blindness. Now they took joy out of him being uh, on the cross and suffering. But even though all we can hear is their mocking, I think their words uh, show us that they were also perplexed. Christ being on the cross was unthinkable even to those who put him up there. Jesus was a man who spoke with God-like authority and performed signs that showed divine power. A man with this kind of status and power doesn't belong on the cross. So save yourself. Come down from the cross if you really are that. Maybe they felt self-justified seeing him remain on the cross. Uh, so, So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another. They said, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. The chief priests and scribes too, I'm sure, felt self-justified. Even though they had seen that Jesus had God's power, Jesus remaining on the cross to them was an absolute relief, I think. We might be quick uh, to disregard these mockers who are clearly the villains in the story. Nobody would imagine putting themselves in their shoes. But even their perceptions have shown us how unthinkable it was to see God's anointed king on the cross. Back in chapter 8, when people were still trying to work out who he was, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, in verse 27, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. The disciples perceived him to be God's anointed king. That was back then. But what about now? Is Jesus on the cross still Christ? If we were bystanders among the crowd, what would our perception be of a crucified king? If Jesus is God's anointed king, Why is he hanging on the cross? 
But we come to see that Mark has been preparing us for this all along. In fact, immediately after Peter recognized that Jesus is the Christ, Mark tells us, chapter 8, verse 31, that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus predicted his death at various other times too. Uh, Just before his triumphal entry in Jerusalem, uh, chapter 10, verse 33, he says, See what we are going up, uh, see we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Mark's story has been preparing us for this moment all along. Uh, Jesus himself knew even the kind of death he was about to face. Uh, Remember his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, He prayed to the Father, Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus knew that what he was about to face, it was more than just a death at the hands of his enemies, but that he was about to drink the cup of God's wrath. And that's what unfolds in the next few verses as we look at Christ in the eyes of the centurion. At midday, while Jesus was on the cross, darkness fills over the whole land for three hours. Imagine that. And at 3 p.m., Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani? which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus has gone from being forsaken by his friends and disciples to now being forsaken by God. Robert Smith, a theologian, describes this scene saying that amidst the darkness that signals God's displeasure, it seems as if Jesus is absolutely alone without people and without God. In verse 35, we see the bystanders who who try to make sense of Jesus' cry. Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, uh, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. The bystanders perhaps were mocking him, but I think it's, it's likely that they just thought Jesus was calling for some kind of miraculous rescue. Only to see that he uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Jesus Christ went to the cross not, not just to suffer, but to die. If Jesus was to save himself or to call for some kind of rescue, it would mean that he cannot save others. While people mocked him and challenged him to come down from the cross, he willingly remained on the cross so that they might be saved. Isaiah prophesied about him, saying, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, 
And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The Son of God left his heavenly throne, humbled himself by becoming human. He humbled himself even to to death on the cross. So that many sinners like you and me would be forgiven. In Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus said that uh, about himself that he came not to be served, but to serve and, uh, to, and give his life as a ransom for many. The ransom that he paid on the cross made a way for us to be reconciled with God. Verse 38 gives us a picture of how effective uh, Christ's death was for our forgiveness. So effective that God tore the temple curtain in two from top to bottom. This signified that those who are saved by the blood of Christ can now freely draw near to God. The barrier has been removed. In verse 39, Mark turns our attention to the centurion standing by who was observing everything that was going on. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Jesus, dead on the cross, left a very uh, unexpected impression on the centurion, don't you think? Perhaps he was in awe at the darkness of God's wrath that filled the sky over Jesus. And in awe, hearing Jesus cry to his father at the top of his lungs. He was in awe at the way Jesus Christ died. Mark leaves us to wonder as to why exactly the centurion thought that he was truly the son of God. But what he says begs the question, why is the Son of God dead? Why would God do this? Because it's the only way. It's the only way that we can be saved. What's our perception of Jesus on the cross? What do we see in Christ dying a brutal death on the cross? I see a real-life rags-to-riches story. A flashback in my own life will show you that I lived a God-forsaken life. A life of sin with unbearable consequences now and after death. But Christ left his heavenly riches... And became God forsaken in my place and your place and died on the cross. He emptied himself in order that you and I might be filled and receive the riches of eternal life in his heavenly kingdom. I think the best rags to riches stories are of sinners like you and me where the unthinkable happened. Christ died so that we would have life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe just like 
the centurion. We're in awe to know that Jesus suffered and died because he loved us. We're in awe to know that you did this in order to draw near to us. Amen.